You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. Gosh, I love it when I get to interview someone who's super interesting and has great insight. And today is that day. We're talking to Dr. Scott. And Dr. Scott is a therapist, and he is someone who has done a lot of research and even wrote a book on the idea of drama addiction. And I've never had anyone on the podcast to talk about drama addiction, but you know that, well, if you've been listening, I talk a lot about this idea of avoiding women who will bring drama in your life and making sure that you're avoiding drama. We want women in our life that add to our life and complement our life, not women who are a liability. Now, while anyone can bring drama, man, woman, and maybe you are someone who potentially has drama addiction, either way here, you're going to learn something. You're going to learn something about how to recognize patterns if a woman is being dramatic or potentially has drama addiction. You might even learn something about yourself here. Family members, friends that you know. This is a really, really powerful and like I said, insightful interview. And I think you're gonna get a lot out of it. So I'll just give my two cents. I want you to walk away from this with a idea of, is this something that is part of you? Do you have drama addiction? And I want you to walk away with understanding what that can look like so we can prevent people, even friends, even family members who have drama addiction or bring drama into your life, just have that ability to recognize that so we can live more serene and better lives. Life is hard enough. We don't need people in our life who are bringing drama. Well, Dr. Scott's going to explain all of this. He wrote a book on it. You can pick it up. The link is in the show notes. I believe we have an Amazon link for it. So check it out. This interview now with Dr. Scott talking about drama addiction. Hey, Dr. Lyons. Good to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's exciting to have you on. You know, these days, I don't do a lot of interviews on the podcast just because it's just rare to talk to someone who can bring something unique and interesting and someone that I'm really interested in having on the podcast. And so when your PR team reached out to me, it was an immediate yes, because I've broached this topic before, but it's so cool to have someone on who can really speak to it. So uh, why don't you tell the guys about you, who you are, what you specialize in, your book and and all that good stuff so they get to know you a little bit. Yeah, well... Thanks again for having me. I, I love the irony of being here on a podcast called How to Talk to Girls. As a very queer man who's never actually gone on a date with a woman, I am happy to give advice to those who are trying to. And it's actually allowed me to get much closer to people because it doesn't have that, you know, the uh, chase or any part of it. So, I, I, And as a therapist, I hear all the like pitfalls of dating men specifically all the time. So I am um, glad to offer a little, little insight from the inside. So to yeah, speak. totally, totally. <laughs> well, you clearly have an interesting background. So whether queer, very queer or not so queer, <laughs> I think your information is going to be very helpful to the guys. Yes. Yeah, so I'm a, uh, my background is as a clinical psychologist. 
I also studied as a, I'm a doctor of osteopathy. And um, what's that? A doctor of osteopathy in the US, it is the original kind of holistic medicine. And then it, it broke into segments like um, chiropractics and physical therapy. In terms of like the original osteopathic doctors were actually manual therapists who also, in addition to doing medicine, also did like adjustments and other types of physical therapy and such. So, Okay, got it, yeah. got it. And I'm curious, have you counseled couples before? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not my favorite thing to do, I will admit. The, Why is that? You know, holding that level of intensity for 90 minutes and trying to support each person simultaneously while not being attacked yourself is a, it's like an adventure course. And except that there are multiple sources of things coming at you simultaneously, it's like a tough mutter. And that's how I would describe couples therapy. So I like it. It's adventurous, but only to some, only some amount of it per year. Okay, I have a question for you. Sure, yeah. Have you ever been in a couples counseling session and in your head you're going, okay, she is, or he, whoever, mm-hmm. one of them is like clearly right. And you know <laughs> it, like, you know, or whatever, whatever the word right means in that case, like, you know, like, okay, one of these people is clearly the problem here. And I, you probably aren't the one to be able to say that because that's not going to be helpful <laughs> for the session, but... Do you ever just think that? I mean, I would say there's always a dance. So even if one person is stirring the pot, so to speak, and their patterns of survival are the ones doing the majority of the punching in the relationship, there's still a dance and there's still an interaction. So I would say yes and no, just to be, you know, more neutral. Yeah. Great, great (laughs) neutral answer there. Okay, cool. So what brought you to, is this the first book that you've written? Yeah, this is my first book. Um, and what, what brought you to, to write a book on this so specific? Yeah, so the book is called Addicted to Drama. And I, you know, as a, as a reformed drama addict, I, <laughs> I felt like I heard the phrase so many times, I grew up in a family of drama. I grew up in a family lineage of drama addicts. And so I knew, I knew it so much in my bones. And yet when going to research it or going to understand it, there was nothing out there. There were no books. There was no articles. And I needed it. I, I felt like as part of my own healing journey, my own journey of you know, not stirring the pot, not being in constant crisis, not being in constant stress, I needed some guideposts. And while that wasn't so available for me in my own journey, I wanted to make sure it was out there for other people. And and the reality is we all know someone addicted to drama. I mean, I like to say, I like to goof around a bit and say like, I wrote this book for someone, you know, because no one's going to be like, Oh, that, yeah, that's me. I'm a drama addict. I mean, because the nature of addiction and the nature of our own survival mechanisms doesn't really allow for a lot of reflection back at ourselves. Okay. And so, so we most often see it in other people. Okay. So someone who is addicted to drama, I really want to define that. Like, yeah. what does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah. 
and kind of sub question. I'm curious, do you see this more in men or women? Or is it <laughs> right down the middle or what? Yeah. So let's start with what it looks like. Yeah. And, and I think we could even ping pong back and forth because I imagine you might know someone who you would deem addicted to drama or dated someone or. Oh, I, uh, Oh, you yes. got someone in mind. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why I was so interested in, <laughs> in uh, interviewing you because I was like, Oh, this sounds all too familiar. So and, yeah, tell yeah, me what feels yes. familiar about it to you. Like just to flip it for a second. Okay. We can flip it a little yeah. bit. Um, what feels familiar? Somebody who is very emotional mm-hmm. and spikes of emotion, swings of emotion, mm-hmm. very happy, very sad, very anxious. And someone who is very sensitive Mm-hmm. And then we can even throw the word, this is just getting super specific, but like jealousy in the mix, mm-hmm. right? So now it's like all these things add up to a lot of dramatic moments in a relationship yeah. that don't have to be so dramatic or so emotional. Yeah. So that's, that's my brief experience explanation. Yeah. I mean, I, I love to ask that question back to people because we all know it so well. We've all been around it. And so like when I offer in my definition, it might, it might feel really aligned or it might feel like it's a step in a different direction. And I'll say why in a minute, because the symptoms of what we see aren't necessarily the definition of what it is. And so we see, okay, you know, have you ever said to someone or thought in your head, like, whoa, what just happened? Yes. <laughs> And that person, likely, if you're saying it enough times, probably addicted to drama. If it feels like someone has vacuumed you into their shit, probably there's some addiction to drama. If you have felt like all of a sudden there is a tornado in the room and out of nowhere, a whole storm front emerged and you could not track where it began or why it ended the way it is, addiction to drama. If you are with someone who takes, who makes mountains out of molehills, who stirs the pot and it makes no sense, that's likely an addiction to drama. If it's someone who goes from one challenge or one issue or one overscheduled calendar to the next event, to the next event, and it just keeps piling on and it's actually they're doing even though they may not admit it or it may not be so obvious, that's an aspect of an addiction to drama. Crisis hopping, they're talking about one issue or another issue, or they most relate to you through essentially issues, problems they have with themselves, problems they have with the world. It's hard to talk about or hang out with a sense of ease or calmness. All of these are more symptomatic of an addiction to drama. And some people might have some of them. Some people might have all of them. And there's obviously we could keep going for the next hour on just symptoms alone or ways it manifests. But addiction to drama at the heart of it, like when you ask like, what is it or what's the definition of it? It's essentially a coping response to dealing with pain. Think about it this way. How have each of you in your life managed to distract yourself from some level of pain? 
Yeah, that's a, that's at the heart of addiction. Now, this one's a little more complex because why would we create more problems than what we have? Right. Seems counterintuitive. Seems counterintuitive from the outside. But there's these layers in which when we are distracted by the chaos of the world, the chaos we are seeking, the chaos we are creating, we're not in touch with the depth of pain that's actually embedded within us. It's actually the, one of the most brilliant ways of distracting ourselves is by creating something worth or seeking something worth distracting ourselves from. Interesting. I'm processing all of this. This is good. We can fucking manufacture it. It's hard to go pick up heroin. I think, I mean, I've never done it, but I imagine it's hard to just, you know, it costs money. It, you have to know where to go. With an addiction to drama, that drug of choice, chaos, crisis, it's at your fingertips. You can manufacture it. You can stir the pot. You can go exactly where you need to go. You can call that ex-lover. You can go think about that ex-lover. You can go think about that person who fucking wronged you that day. Over and over and over again, stirring yourself into that level of stress activation. And it's free. Yeah. Gosh, it's interesting because I would, I would like to say I'm a person who's not addicted to drama. I don't think I am. And I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to even get creative in my head of like, well, what ways if I wanted to right now stir up drama? And you gave some examples. But even then, I, I couldn't even think of what to do. So to me, I don't know, getting heroin and causing trauma both seem equally hard. But that's probably because I'm not looking for it or not used to it. Well, congratulations. You're one of the maybe few, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. I mean, for some of us, that's, that's not our story. That's not our story of like the way we cope. And the, the level of navigating pain wasn't about getting numb or becoming numb rather, and then finding some type of sensation to counteract that numbness. I mean, if we think about it, like high intensity sports, high intensity dating, those are all variations of creating enough stimulant to rise above the threshold of, of numbness that comes from pain, that comes from trauma and feel something, feel something enough that reminds us that we're alive. And right simultaneously keeps us far enough away from actually coming inward and making contact with the underlying hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're saying here, it's just insert addiction here, right? It could yeah. be whatever it is, drama, drugs, work, yeah. whatever it may be. It's just avoiding whatever that person needs to avoid. Yeah. And there's some, there's some other elements that can, you know, make it an addiction in sense of like withdrawal symptoms. Oh, let's talk about that. That's interesting for or tolerance for, levels. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, you stir the drama, you, you, you create it, you manufacture it, you find it, you're in it, you're in that intense relationship. You come to this peak of absolute, you know, chaos or the fight. And then it's all great for a moment. It's like, 
ah, we find each other, there's some peace or there's some, you know, some ease. And I'm, I'm using air quotes for ease. Like we're coming down from it. And then there's a sense of boredom. And we might think we're bored or we might just feel that sort of boredom as a form of anxiety, a stirring something like that just doesn't feel right. Or we're on the lookout again for something that, that like when it's going to go bad again, that's a withdrawal. Like we're starting to get the itch for drama. We need it. And there's actually a physiological ha- process that is just like drugs, that is just like gambling that we find in drama where we get to this point where essentially that itch, that need for the next hit is a biochemical response. So what's happening in, in withdrawal? Like I, I think I, from the TV shows, <laughs> I've seen, you know, I've seen now withdrawal from drugs yeah, or maybe, you know, uh, nicotine or something like that. Mm-hmm. What's the withdrawal from drama? Is it, a very similar thing? Like you, what, what's, what's happening there? I mean, I can say from my own experience is it's like you find yourself starting to make trouble. You find yourself starting to go back in that rumination, those thought patterns, like, and you start to like rev yourself up essentially. And it's, it's out of a sense of like anxiousness, unease. So what happens after we go through that, that peak like the explosion that we all know of as part of it, like a drama. And we, we get some, we get some fake recuperation. Like in a typical stress response, you know, we have this activation in our body, it ha- that, this rise of energy, this cortisol response, and it helps us mobilize, adapt to the stimulus, adapt to the stressor. And then we start to come down our, literally our muscles start to relax and we feel more. And in that film, that, that state, we're actually processing what happened. And then from that processing, we go into recuperation. So we're building up more energy reserves in our body to essentially go right back into it. It's a, our stress response is a, is, a, is a cycle of adaptation. We need it. We need it to survive. And that, why that's important to understand is because in an addiction to drama, you get all that activation Sometimes they actually express it and it gets mobilized. Usually it just is a big cathartic explosion. And then they go into what looks like a deactivation, which would be like a resting of the muscles, a time when we're processing that rest and digest period. But instead in that state, they start like, as soon as they start to settle, they get antsy. It feels like uneasiness, like there's something fucked up in the world, but you can't play, you can't quite put your finger on it. Even though nothing is. Nothing is. Nothing is. But it's returning back to that closer to the core wound and the uneasiness that you know so intrinsically, so intensely in your bones. And there isn't the external situation to match that internal uneasiness. And so the itching and the anxiety begins and you start to crave the desire to sync up the external world with the internal uneasiness. And so that we can feel like we're not disconnected from the world out of sync with it. Right. And then when they're in that drama, they feel more in their sense connected. 
Absolutely. That's, that's the hit is it feels like the world is perfectly aligned. It is empowering. You feel that surge of energy. You actually experience a sense of purpose because for once in your life, you actually feel the sense of being synced up with another person or synced up with the world around you. It doesn't feel like a cacophony which it actually always otherwise feels. Now, when I think of someone who might be addicted to drama, yeah. there's excitement in drama, mm-hmm. right? It's, exci- it's why we watch movies. Drama is <laughs> exciting. Drama is interesting. Yeah. So as you're saying, it's an avoidance of some pain or emotional distress that they're dealing with or trauma mm-hmm. in some sense. Mm-hmm. And they're also fueled by it like it excites them like it's fun like like a drug is yeah i mean think about it like this with part of a trauma response there's a frozenness in your body and it's like the brakes and the gas are on your entire life you want to go and then there's something holding you back there's a frozenness in your body and there's a way in when you're in the the peak of the drama it's all gas Nothing is holding you back and you get to fly. And for that brief moment, you're out of that stuckness, that out of syncness that I was referring to. And so it's a sense of euphoria, even though we're in crisis, even though it's, it could be a messed up situation. There is a biochemical sense of euphoria. There is actually a pain reliever that comes online in your brain and a sense of motivation. So dopamine. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So that was a very thorough and great explanation. (laughs) And so my question to you, not that this particularly matters, I'm just more curious. Have you found that there's like a a specific demographic or type of person, gender that has more of that? I think it can manifest in different ways, sort of by permission through gender roles. So that's, again, my neutral way of saying saying yes and no. I mean, we might see, you know, in our culture, we know that like, uh, often emotion is is less avail is less supported in men. Yeah. So perhaps the dramatic manifestation won't be in as extreme or bigness the bigness of the emotional expression. It might show up in other ways, like overpiling yourself with work, consuming factor, or like bringing in more and more in your life with stressors, essentially. It might show up as pedestaling someone on a date and then ghosting them. Oh, interesting. We can talk about relationships and how it shows up in addiction and trauma. But so it, it varies. It's not one specific gender. Like drama doesn't, drama doesn't pick a gender. You know, trauma doesn't pick a gender. But the expression of how we are in our survival responses are certainly impacted by the environmental conditions and the social conditions to which we grow up in. How does, it's interesting because like, how does someone 
I don't know how to ask this question because it just sounds funny, but I'll just go for it. It's like, how does someone pick drama as their vice? <laughs> I don't think... Or uh, discover. You know, yeah. I know they don't get, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, how they discover that as, a, as something that could... Like why that instead of heroin? Why that instead of work or gambling? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that question could be for, for anything, right? For yeah. Maybe it's my guess is just being exposed to it. Yeah. Some of it's what's modeled by our family members. Some of it is, again, the availability. I mean, I don't know. I didn't discover drugs until, I don't know. I think I maybe 14 or 15. That was the first time. And you know, nothing, nothing insane or nothing too intense. But before that, before I had the access to something like gambling, which I couldn't even do till I was 18 or drinking till I was, we'll say 21 (laughs) or any of that, I had other more access to things like drama and it was modeled in my family. I mean, I remember as a kid and this, this memory stands out. So as like the, I like, I would love it to be the cover of my book, this particular memory. And I was, at a Thanksgiving party for my family. And part of the way that my family showed love was through teasing, was through kind of provocative humor, which is one of the ways that their addiction drama showed up was like the provocateur. Yeah. And so um, they were provoking one of my family members and whose house we were at for Thanksgiving And she ran up the stairs and as loud as she could packed a suitcase and as loud as she could brought it down each step. So we could all hear it like bang, 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 bang. As loud as she could open the door to the freezing tundra of Minnesota, slammed the door and dragged that suitcase out of her own house down the snowy street. Not even to her car, just kept going down the street. And I just remember going, wow, are other families like this? (laughs) Like, I feel like I just saw like a soap opera from when I was a kid. And then I'm realizing, I was like, oh, but the soap opera plays itself out through so many of our family events. Like, this is just one example. But I also thought it was hilarious. Like, it was entertaining because it was so extreme and so goofy to see someone literally pack a suitcase from their own house at their own party and, and make a scene of it to a degree of uh, that. They're literally without a coat (laughs) in 20 degree weather in Minnesota. Wow. I missed one factor. Who was this person? Oh, I'm not saying it was a family oh. member. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, am I not listening? Because I no, thought I it. was. <laughs> okay. So. Okay. It's harder to be sued when you don't mention that particular family member's name. Got it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I learned that through publishing I, books. Okay. <laughs> Are you close with that person anymore? Uh, I'm not. No. Okay. So they're out of your life. Yeah. 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 Got it. Yeah. Okay. And so that could be a place you're saying is where you picked up some of that drama addiction. Oh yeah. I mean, that the exposure, extreme, the extreme amplification of stories. Like it, it was embedded in, and the way my entire family talked, 
again, the, the provocativeness of like the humor, the way of relating like provocativeness was our love language. Trauma was our love language. The big fights, the immediate coming back to hugs right after something would violent might occur. High highs, low lows. High highs, low lows, and not a lot in between. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'll share also a side, one side of my family. Yeah. It's constant trauma. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always been there. Luckily, it has not taken its place in my life, but I do a good job at um, boundaries, right? To make sure it doesn't enter my life. But yeah. here's a good quote. I wonder if, if, if you have this one in your book. There's always something. There's right? always something. Like, and then you can even say, there's always something with them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so that's my way of explaining certain people in my extended family. Yeah. There's always, and there always is. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm thinking about a few specific family members. I'm like drama addiction. I got to get them your book. <laughs> well, I like to call my book, the passive aggressive gift book of the year. <laughs> Feel free to just leave them on their doorstep or however, or whatever. You I'm might just going to leave this one right here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now it is your book. Is it a self-help book? Is it helping you with the addiction to drama in your life or someone you know's life? Yeah. I mean, the, the book takes two directions. It's how do we navigate this if this is our propensity, if this is our addiction of choice? And I say of choice, but I actually don't think it's really of choice. How do we heal from being around those with an addiction to drama? Because, you know addiction to drama is the only addiction in which it is contagious. Now we have something like secondhand smoke. And so there's, you know, we can talk about the similarity of that, but the state of crisis that I might find myself in if I'm addicted to drama is actually physiologically contagious in your body. Just being around those with an addiction to drama, we get our own hits. And so for some, as you said, like it's entertaining, like some people in the, in the drama, like, especially at first, it's like, it's exciting. There's like something happening. There's like, you know, it, it's, it can be really fun and in, intense in a way that just is the opposite of boring. I mean, being on the outside of drama, it's always interesting <laughs> hearing here. Let's be real. Like hearing gossip. Yeah. From someone you and 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 you're outside of it, or at least I'll just speak for myself. Like if I hear something, yeah. like if you told me that story and you were a friend of mine and you said, "Oh, yeah," or you said, "Oh, a friend of mine's, you know, whoever this happened," yeah. I'd be like, "Ooh, all right, let me get the coffee." What what happened? This is interesting, right? It's like, yeah, it's drama is 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 exciting, interesting. Yeah, it draws you in. Yeah, even if you're not addicted to it, it still draws you in. Absolutely. I mean, there's something enticing in the language we use, the secrecy of it, the exposure to something that's outside of what we should or could have known. There's an, you know what I mean? And on the cover of my book is um, a big teacup that's being spilled, like spilling the tea, you know? And, and so we wanted to go with that metaphor. Yeah. Gossip is a, a, an absolute way 
of main, like of, of a tool, we'll say of those addiction and drama, you know, spilling the beans, like saying things that is outside of the boundary of what you are supposed to be saying, drawing people in. Like if I say to you, like, Hey, I want to tell you a secret. Do you lean in? I'm pulling you. Absolutely. I'm pulling you into it. You're going to like this one. So I have a text message that I tell guys to send to a girl (laughs) if she's not responsive. Okay. Will you read it to me? And I will. And so, well, I'll just say the text is, can you keep a secret? (laughs) And go ahead and text us out. Tell me again how you don't have an addiction to drama, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it, it, it generates a response I, I, I bet you we'll have a lot of people doing this right now just do it to a friend yeah. can you keep a secret you will get the fastest response you've ever gotten from that friend who, or family whoever right Yeah. and so I, I say it to guys you can say that first of all you better have something to say <laughs> and it's a way to get her to respond to then be able to ask her out and you know, go from there. But Wait, it's, that, it's not a pink uh, flag like that they're not responding in the first place. It is. We said oh. pink flag. Well, you know, oh, like a light red flag. Like it's it. a light, yeah. I mean, I like to say red flag couture, but I, I've been lessening the extreme of that and saying pink flag lately. Okay. Got it. I thought pink flag was like the gay red flag. <laughs> so, I mean, we can go with that, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Oh, we'll say, we'll say yellow flag, right? Sure. Whatever. Same idea. Um, yes, it is. So I tell guys, you can use this. That doesn't mean she's going to like you, but it's just a way to maybe yeah. get her to respond. And then right from there, you're going to try to ask her out. Not literally right after that. You better have something to say. And then, and it can be a joke or whatever. And, and then ask her out. And then if she's not interested, if she won't say yes to you, you asking her out is just not going to happen. Yeah. Right. I mean, you so, can certainly follow that up with, can you keep a secret? I think you're great, but it shouldn't be a secret. I mean, you know, so you don't think that's smooth. Okay, fine, fine. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm just going to be real. Is that smooth? Yeah, it's smooth. Okay. But it's, it's not going to, it's not going to attract her. Okay. Because when you're showing that kind of interest, yeah, it doesn't really play the flirting game. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It, it, it's, and, and not that you should do the opposite. Like, can you keep a secret? You suck. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> obviously, you're not going to do that either. But too much overt interest doesn't light up a woman. Sure. I, I, I wonder if that's the same as what I was calling like pedestaling earlier. Of like, when you lift them up in a, the fantasy of what you have with them, of them, instead of actually being real with them in the moment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, with all this conversation of drama, and one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because I want men to be able to avoid women who might bring drama into their life. Okay. Right? So do you have, based on your book, your experience, do you have any advice to guys who can see these, we'll say pink, yellow, red, all the above, except for green flags, 
when they're starting to date someone that you might be with someone who has an addiction to drama because yeah. you can see someone who's got an addiction to drugs sure. and cigarettes. Gambling, might, that one may take a while, but drama may be harder to see. I don't know. Maybe sometimes it's right in your face, maybe not. So yeah. what are some ways guys can look out for this so they don't end up with the drama addict? Yeah. I, I mean... It, you know, having, having dated a meth addict and didn't know it, I will say, I, I, <laughs> I will, I, you don't always know either, that either, but with addiction to drama, you might notice it in, in several ways. I mean, I think for one, it's hard in the beginning of a relationship where it's that all that stress energy is actually part of the original process of a relationship, the chase, the, the questioning, the, like the discovery process, but mostly the chase and, and all of the, that dynamics is its own heightened arousal activation response. When I say arousal, I don't mean sexual arousal. It's another word for a stress response. We can talk about the other arousal later, but, um, but if you are aroused in that type of way to the chase, my dear male friends, perhaps you have your own addiction to drama to navigate. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But when that starts to wear off is when you might start to see some of the other elements where drama is the love language, which looks like blaming, shaming, guilting, fighting, uh, intensity to actually feel closer to you, even though it pushes you away. So for those with addiction to drama, there is a sense of being disconnected, disconnected from themselves, disconnected from other people. And the vulnerability of intimacy sends a signal of danger straight up to their brain as fast as it can. Yeah. So that's why outside of the chase, that sort of initial period when you actually start to build intimacy, you'll start to see the love language come in. The love, love language, which is replaced with intimacy, is those things, the fights, the intensity, the jealousy, the blame, the guilt, the things that don't make sense where you're like, Wait, what, what just happened? I don't think I was part of that inner conversation in your brain. And yet I'm being pulled into it. The things that leave us in a aftermath of confusion. Okay, so interesting. It, it, it's not even just the symptoms. It's like, how are you doing? Are you feeling kind of confused? Like, like you just got blown away like a leaf in the wind and didn't have any agency and control and you're trying to sort it out. That, that can be a real signal for you that it's like, wait, if we, if we take a step back, and we ask what just happened and we actually evaluate it. What was the other person using in that moment as maybe a way of connecting? Because the blaming, the guilting, the fighting actually allows an opening to then feel more safely connected. They bring you in to their world, just like the, the whisper or a gossip does. It's under their control. So it's less vulnerable and in the same way, that fighting, that blaming can then push you away when it feels too close. Interesting. It's kind of wild how something so violent can allow someone to feel connected and then also destru- de- like 
get rid of that sense of connection so they can feel safe. Yeah. Interesting. And it leaves so many of us because I've been on the other side of it too. You know, it's not like I just had this addiction drama. I also grew up in it. It leaves us in a state of confusion of trying to put ourselves in reality back together because it doesn't make sense. Addiction to drama does not make sense because it's about making sensation to feel alive in a world of numbness. And I want to now transition to, because you might recognize some of that in maybe a person you're dating, and maybe you're kind of going to be repeating yourself here, but maybe a guy's listening to this right now and he's going, ooh, I might be addicted to drama. Sure. Maybe he's recognizing it as he's listening to this episode. Mm -hmm. What does he do now? Or how can he handle that? What's the first steps in trying to get this maybe recovery process going? Yeah, I would start with my audio book or my book. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, no, that's, that's a great start. Absolutely. No, I mean, there, there's now more resources out there like my book, and which is exactly why, because if you're discovering it, if people are telling you like, hey, you're pretty dramatic or they might call you a drama queen or some other term, or like you just are too intense. That's another like very basic word that's used and replaced in replacement of drama. And, you know, the first thing I want to offer is this. You're not alone. That you did nothing wrong. Perhaps your behaviors created a lot of hurt. But that is a reflection of a deeper hurt within you. And you may not know what that hurt is. You don't have to know. That's, that's part of a healing journey, but it is a reflection of something internal within you. If you find yourself constantly surrounded with the people you are dating, where it just feels like constant chaos and doesn't make sense, there is a possibility that you are reenacting something that is deep within you and finding it within other people. And that's okay. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. You're still a good human being at heart. But this begins your journey of starting to look inward as well and starting to identify when you are stirring the pot, when you are creating unnecessary conflict, when you are getting in your own way, when you are essentially pumping yourself full of the circumstances that will ensure your suffering. Yeah. Well, I think guys should look towards checking out your book, which they can find hopefully on Amazon. Yeah, I think pretty much anywhere. I think you okay. can throw a rock at a bookstore and find it pretty soon. Oh, cool. Oh, so it's, it's a, you can get in a bookstore. That's great. Yeah, yeah. That's rare these days. Is it? Oh. Yeah, because well, okay. a lot of people can just self-publish and then not have to worry about getting officially published. Oh. Yeah. I'll check that out next time. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no need. I, better to be in your in your situation for sure. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can. No, that's, I, it's on Amazon. Uh, there's a couple. If you aren't into Amazon, there's certainly a lot of independent bookstores that will offer it as well. Okay, cool. Any last words to guys who either are struggling with something like this or want to look out for anyone who is that could be entering their life? Yeah. It. You know, just because you find someone, if you're dating someone, if you meet someone or you, or you recognize, 
you have a friend who's like this, it doesn't mean that you have to, to totally devastate the relationship or walk away. You can, you have that permission, but I want to just say like, there's a way of, of, of supporting yourself. There's a way of coming into more boundaries. There's a way of not being pulled in of just reaffirming your own sense of anchor or your own sense of self. And that that's a little ambiguous, but I, I, I actually mean like sometimes you just need to breathe and feel your own breath when they are creating a tornado around you. And as much as they try to pull you in, stay anchored. Very good. I like it. Check out Dr. Scott's book, Addicted to Drama. Anywhere books are sold, we'll put a link there to the Amazon, uh, the, the book on Amazon so you can check it out for yourself. And is there anywhere where they can find you on social? They wanted to see what you're up to. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Instagram at DR Dr. Scott Lyons. You can also check out my website. I heard I have um, other social media, but I'm, I'm not very active on it. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully someone's working on it. <laughs> awesome. Dr. Scott, thanks for coming on. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.